You're listening to the Speaker Society podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. My name is Alex Feldman, a first-year business major at Western University, and I sit down with professionals to talk about their journey, what lessons they have learned, and what advice they have for students and other professionals alike. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Speaker Society. I know we're in a little bit of a drought in terms of episodes. I haven't posted in a while, but we're back now. We got a banger episode right now, and we have a new new speaker, and his name's Richard. Um, and thankfully, thanks, Richard, for answering my message. And I won't say anything further. I, I want you to kind of ex- explain to me who Richard is. What's your journey? Um, how did you get to Castle Placement? And in general, like, where'd you study? Was this always your passion to go into business? I, I know I threw a bunch of questions at you, but those are kind of some topics that I would like you to touch on. Yeah, that's like a two-hour interview right there. <laughs> but, you know, at least, okay, let's go from the beginning. You know, where did, where did it all start for Richard? Where'd you go to school? Uh, well, I grew up uh, on Long Island outside of New York. And I went to the University of Pennsylvania undergrad. Oh, okay. And what did you study? Finance. And how was that? Was that what you wanted? Or was it just like, you know, kind of, oh, I don't really know what. Because a lot of finance people, they just go into it. I would say I didn't really know what finance was. But I knew that I wanted to be in business. And finance sounded like a good entry point. That's awesome. And and did it did it become a good entry point? Or... Did it, or was it kind of? I think so. I've been in finance ever since, but it was not uh, it was not all planned out when I was uh, seventeen. I can assure you of that. It's total. No, it usually isn't. It usually isn't. I find um, I'm in business as well, so uh, most of my friends don't have it figured out at all. They're just they're just going with the flow and seeing where the current takes them. I was lucky enough to kind of discover uh, some passions of mine very early. Um, but a lot of my friends have, are just still searching and there's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, but yeah, so what, so what happened when, uh, I heard you went to law school after as well. So what made you want to go to law school? Well, um, after I graduated from college, I went to work at a boutique investment bank and I had been, I ended up working there for seven years, but after four years, uh, there was a, uh, a downturn in the economy, and um, it was 1990-ish, and there was not much work to do. It was very slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day it was five o'clock, and my desk was completely bare. That's, that's when we used to have paper. Yeah, and I didn't have anything to write about. It was just very uh, quiet. My boss and mentor uh, was a lawyer and I had much admiration for him and thought that he was just totally on the ball. Any transaction, any negotiation, any analysis, I just felt that his legal background was uh, super helpful Mm -hmm. and I decided to go to law school. Wow. And uh, so did, did you work as a lawyer afterwards or uh, was that kind of just the, another building block? I did not. Um, I continued at Redstone for those additional three years while I was at law school. So I mm-hmm. went at night. And then uh, when I graduated, 
Uh, I went to work for a large Wall Street firm. And uh, no, I, I never did practice law until many decades later, uh, when we founded Castle Placement, I've done much of the legal work for Castle Placement. Mm -hmm. And uh, sorry, just to give like, the, the viewers a little bit of insight. So what is, what is Castle Placement about? Uh, what, what is, you know, there's a lot of investment firms out there. What, what makes Castle special? And I'm sure you have a lot of answers to this question. You seem very passionate about it. That's also a two hour question. So uh, <laughs> we are an investment bank. We're FINRA licensed. We have bankers all throughout the United States and around the world. And we only do one thing, which is rather unique on Wall Street. And that is we raise private capital, both equity and debt. That is one of the hardest things to do in all of business, mm -hmm. which is why we do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think what's special about us is that we formed the, the, the firm on, on a thesis that investment banking is inefficient and antiquated. And we have built a very robust data and technology engine for all of our capital raising activities. Mm -hmm. Really, um, most investment banking and capital raising to this day um, is much more centered around a network of relationships and friends and kind of the old boy network, the old white boy network, and making deals with former fraternity brothers at the country club. And that's fine, I suppose, but it's not an efficient way to raise capital and certainly not a way for our clients to get the best execution available on the planet for their particular transaction. To do that, we believe you need to use very sophisticated data and technology tools to find the right investors for each transaction. Mm -hmm. So you're saying you're, you're valuing the person more than just, and kind of less, uh, like friendly relationships, like with the fraternity brothers. I think that's really relevant because actually my uh, my boss, he was in a frat, and a lot of his uh, a lot of his like brothers from the frat, and like people that were you know before him as well. When he started this startup that I work at right now, a lot of the deals come from that. And obviously, that promoting frats right there, but you know at the end of the day, it's not very sustainable. And I kind of see your your value here. So you value kind of that outsourcing. You value uh, like the outreach for, for the funding. Is that, is that, is that how I, how I can put it easier? Yeah. Think of it this way. <clears throat> there are millions of companies in the world Yeah, and hundreds of thousands of them are seeking to raise capital today. Mm -hmm. And there are millions of investors in the world that want to deploy capital in companies. Yes. But the way that they meet each other, is completely random happenstance, broken, um, a friend of a friend of a friend. But our approach is, is quite scientific. Each client is in a certain industry. They're raising a certain amount of capital. They are in a certain geography. They're in a certain stage of development. 
whether mm -hmm. it be startup or early stage or mature, they're raising a certain amount of capital and they're either looking for equity or mes debt or senior debt or some combination thereof. So those are very specific needs that they have. And there are certain investors in the world that are looking for a company just like that, that has all of that, those characteristics. Mm -hmm. And but would you say, sorry to interrupt, but would you say as a personal question, would you say that each, each industry has a particular funding amount or like range that they're looking for? Like, for example, like, uh, let's say ad tech or fintech, like, is, would that would be kind of one range, but then another range, like, would you say that, uh, are you putting it so that in different industries, because you mentioned that in different industries, like they're looking for different things, different characteristics. Does that include like the funding amount or am I uh, spitballing a little bit? Uh the same two different companies in the same industry could mm -hmm. have an entirely different uh, funding mm -hmm. goal. Okay. Uh, there could be a startup company that's looking to raise $2 million and there could be a mature company that's looking to raise $500 million. Yeah. So I wouldn't stratify it by uh, industry and size. Okay. But so, so tell me, uh, like, how did this start? Like, when did this idea come of starting Castle Placement? Was this like a coffee chat or with, with, the, with the other fraternity bros or, or just kind of like just happened? You always wanted to do this. Um, we have to go back to the 90s. Yeah, let's go back. <laughs> um, all during the 90s, um, I was at Credit Suisse First Boston. And I had a partner there named Ken Margolis. We worked together in, in a small group and we liked each other and we worked very well together. And then in uh, 2000, um, there was another financial crisis because one seems to crop up every eight to 12 years. And um, Ken went to Merrill Lynch and I went to Bear Stearns and he did a lot of amazing things at Merrill Lynch. I did some good things at Bear Stearns and then in 2008 there was the financial crisis of all financial crises um, where there was a total meltdown and Lehman Brothers had to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy and disappeared. Uh, Bear Stearns uh, was deeply troubled and had to be absorbed into JP Morgan. And I can name 20 other companies yeah. that, that were severely distressed and the markets were upside down and there was no liquidity. It was just really a horrible, terrible time. Can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, for sure. And Ken and I decided uh, a few things then. Uh, one, that we wanted to get back together. Two, that um, we wanted to build an investment bank that was different than any other investment bank in the world. Uh, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, we had a very data and technology centric viewpoint of, of how investment banking can be done most effectively. Mm -hmm. And three, uh, we just didn't think that 
Wall Street was going to recover in a way that it would be an extraordinarily lucrative place to work. Um, Wall Street actually recovered very well. Still may not be as uh, lucrative a place to work as it was uh, before the crisis in 2008. But um, anyway, that was, that was what uh, precipitated the formation of Castle Placement. And, and it's, I think it's been up. So, so you guys started in 2009, I believe, or Yeah, and you guys have been up for, for quite a while. So congrats on that. I mean, not, not many companies stay out that long, especially in today's climate, today's business climate. You know, companies come and go. You are absolutely right. Uh, thank you for the congratulations. We've had uh, many, many uh, lucky breaks along the way. Um, you know, companies talk about headwinds and tailwinds. Uh, I'm, not yeah. a, I'm not a sailor, but we've had several tailwinds. Uh, one, if you think about it, before I get to that, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we never anticipated uh, the, the growth and success that we've been lucky enough to, to achieve. Yeah, so it's no. not like it's not like we grew this business, and, and it started this business in 2009, and and thought in 2022 it was gonna it was gonna be this big. Uh, no way, it's not thinking like that at all. But anyway, it's um, hard work. It's hard work. You know, it's it's hard work. I can see it. I can see it, Richard. Uh, I think I think you guys put in a lot of work, and eventually you guys are helping a lot of companies. And as a company, that right now I'm feeling it because I work in a startup. I feel like a lot of people are looking for funding. They're looking for that that one little push. You know, a lot of people are at that that finish line. And again, that goes back to what I said earlier. You know, a lot of businesses start out and then they just fall over and it just comes and goes in today's climate. Um, a lot of companies get to that line where they're like, they have a product, they have a team, but you know, they just need that like one financial push to get them over because their clients haven't, they're, they haven't had enough sales yet to like you know pay for their their um their employees yet so we've actually come to that point and we have that we have that product we have everything um but like we actually were were looking now we're good but we were looking for that final push that will take us over the edge and give us you know a good birth to hopefully many more years of success so you guys are definitely doing a lot of public service. And um, I heard you guys go for like, you know, startup mid-market or mid-mid-sized companies. Um, that's that's like, that's the bread and butter. That's Those are the companies that really need it rather yep. than, you know, those those huge businesses that just need a little bit more to start a new task force. You know, the little ones, the little guys are always struggling. So I really appreciate the, all the work you've been doing. Yeah, it's 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 you're you're at, you're you're definitely on point. Um, you know, we've raised as little as one million dollars for a client. We've raised a billion dollars uh, for a client. So we do all sizes, but mm -hmm. there's no question that there is a, a, a massive opportunity for raising capital for small companies, and a lot of that has been uh, fueled by the Jobs Act. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Reg CF and Reg A capital raises, but it allows. Kind of. yeah. I've, I've heard it in passing. It allows companies to raise capital from non-accredited investors, which means ordinary people 
as opposed to accredited investors, which have to have a certain uh, threshold net income or net worth. Mm-hmm. So, so it really has uh, leveled the playing field substantially. And, um, you know, it's ironic because we raise capital uh, for private companies, but Castle Placement itself has never raised outside capital. We, um, we funded it ourselves. And I'll tell you that the, the Reg CF and the Reg A transactions are really changing the world, I think, because we talked about that old white man network. Uh, and those are the people that really have the most opportunities to start businesses, raise money from friends and families, and then go to uh, Silicon Valley and mm. raise venture capital funds. It's a very uh, closed environment. But with Reg CF and Reg A, um, you, a company can get thousands of investors, ordinary people. Oh. That, that opens it up to founders, you know, women, minorities, don't go to certain, you know, grow up in a certain neighborhood, go to a certain country club, go to a certain university, go to a certain graduate school. And we all know that there are millions of super talented people that don't have that type of background. And it it really creates an uneven playing field. So so we're we're incredibly excited about uh, equity crowdfunding. We spent a lot of time and resources over the last two years building up our platform uh, Mm -hmm. for for doing those small kind of capital raises. And uh, Richard, just to touch on kind of like what makes Castle Placement a good company, because I I think you guys are doing a great job in terms of like capital raising and stuff. Um, I I just want to touch on for people that are starting their business or looking to start a business or are currently in a business like me um, that are looking around and trying to, you know, pick, pick everyone's brain for information and try to understand like how a company works for the future. Um, what would you say like the most important part to Castle Placement's success would be? And I'll give you kind of like an, an ABC like kind of option. So A being, I think like the team. So that's to me, I'm a people person. So um, I'm like, that would probably be my answer 100%, but that's option A. B is like the, the actual product or original idea. And then C is like the growth model. So do you have like a plan? Like that would be, and I think all are good answers, but like, what was your like biggest thing in, in, in your opinion out of those, those uh, three? So A is, A is like your team, B is your product, and C is like your plan. A, B, and C are great. And I'll go into each of those, but I'm definitely going to add a D. And okay. I, touched, I touched on it earlier and it's super important. Uh, we've had a lot of really good luck. If you think about, we founded the firm in 2009 at, as I mentioned, the worst possible or amongst the worst possible times in, in financial history. Yeah. And up until the last four months, I would say between 2009 and January of 2022, mm-hmm. it's basically been an up, positive bullish market in almost every industry. 
So certainly that is a nice momentum uh, boost for castle placement. Secondly, um, just if you think about the, the technology, um, the advances in technology that have occurred between 2009 and 2022, it really just played perfectly into our business thesis about mm -hmm. using data and technology. Everything got more sophisticated and cheaper and faster and more efficient to deploy. So that was certainly uh, a big break for us. Next, um, and you know, as I'm listing these things, it really just substantiates my point. We've had a lot of, of really good luck. Um, private equity and venture capital investing between 2009 and 2022 has been like a hockey stick. If you look at how much was invested in 2009 versus how much was invested in 2021, you'll see that private capital deployment has grown and firms like Blackstone and Apollo and Fortress and Carlisle, they've raised multiple, multiple billions of dollars. And their job is to come in every day and deploy that capital. And having a platform like Capital, like Capital Placement mm -hmm. is uh, helpful to them uh, to, to deploy that capital. And you and don't think that COVID played a, played a role in that hockey stick? Was it like a... You know, was yeah. there a little like bump in the hockey stick or was it kind of smooth? No, I'll get to that in one second. Yeah, sorry. To let, I don't know, I apologize for that. You're the interviewer. <laughs> so uh, just the last, the last uh, thing that happened that, that I want to mention that was fortuitous is the Jobs Act. I mean, if you think about it, we had this business plan to use uh, general solicitation tactics to find investors for our clients. Mm -hmm. And then the government about eight or nine years ago enacts legislation that makes it a thousand times easier to use general solicitation in a legal regulatory compliant fashion. So it was just perfect. For, for what we were trying to do. So I would really be remiss if I didn't mention all of those uh, tailwinds that, that we've had as a firm. Now to your, so that's D. Now I'll do A, B, and C. So A is people, uh, even though you're just a fetus, uh, you have very good uh, observations and, and, and you're, you're straight on. Uh, the people are definitely the most important. That's not just a cliche. Uh, that's a mm -hmm. fact, and I'll put the people that uh, the people on the castle placement team against any investment bankers in the world um, in terms of their talent, intelligence, experience, but also just nice people, straightforward, honest, ethical, good people. And we take an extraordinary amount of pride in that. Uh, because we make that a real emphasis point. Uh, bad people uh, would not be invited to join Castle Placement, and if they somehow snuck in, uh, they wouldn't last. 
so that that goes to a culture of, 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 of building a good team and you're spot on. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is that um, we really have spent enormous amount of time and money and resources building the data and technology. And we continue to do it to this day. So, you know, you can take revenue and allocate it any way you want, right? Including just putting it in your pocket um, or putting it in other things. But we've been very adamant about always being five or seven years ahead of the rest of the industry in terms of deploying data and technology in our everyday process. So just to give you a, a quick example, uh, and this actually touches on your question about COVID. So I think that it can integrate nicely. When COVID hit, um, we had a real problem in our operations. We were heavily reliant on uh, a few people who were responsible for a large portion of the operations of the firm. And much of that uh, knowledge about how everything worked was in their head. And when COVID hit and everyone had to go home and some people had to actually leave the country because their home was outside of the United States, um, there was like a two month period of just upheaval at Castle Placement from an operations perspective. Mm -hmm. And it was miserable. And it was definitely the best thing that ever happened to Castle Placement because um, we vowed from that moment, which is you know March, April of 2020, mm -hmm. of 2020 um, we vowed from that moment to make sure that that would never ever happen again. Mm -hmm. And we built really, I think, incredible tools and systems and processes and technology to automate, semi-automate, and most importantly, organize and document every single step of our business mm -hmm. so that literally any person could come in and basically follow go, directions. Go do whatever's necessary. Absolutely. Like that, that was literally the goal that anyone could come in and do any part of the operations equation. Yeah. So I always tell, like, when we hire a new banker, and we're hiring a lot of new bankers, uh, thankfully, I always tell them, you're so lucky to be coming now. Because if you had come in 2018, your job would have been uh, much less enjoyable. Just no question about it, much less enjoyable. Now, everything is so organized and documented that you're never lost. You're never reliant on other people to answer your, your silly question. It's all right there on a layout 
in 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 CPGO, which I can I can talk about our CPGO app, but it's it, it's in a layout or we have an instructional video and it's super simple. So that has been absolutely. And then your productivity just spiked from that. No question about it. No, not not even close. So, so you're saying that after after COVID kind of influenced you in a good way, you're saying, um, and bit like you got a chance to kind of reflect on what was going on, and it may it gave you like a punch in the in the face a little bit. Exactly. You like it's about how you bounce back, and you guys bounce back in a big way. It was a huge punch in the face, and at that moment, we would have told you it was the worst thing ever. Mm. It was. It was the worst thing ever. But I can tell you right now, no question about it best thing that ever happened to us. So kind of funny how life works that way and how business works that way. In terms of um, raising capital, COVID was, it, it changed the, the industries. So for example, um, you wouldn't wanna be raising capital for an airline or for hotels oh, yeah. or for a restaurant chain. So, uh, yeah, those are, those were pretty much extinct during COVID. Exactly. Or for a shopping mall. Um, (laughs) exactly. But if you were a FinTech company or a logistics company or a blockchain company. SaaS as well, probably, right? SaaS, no question about it. Um, those companies all of a sudden became extraordinarily desirable and needed. So that's the amazing thing about capitalism. Uh, Capital flows to the areas that make the most sense. That's the logic. And uh, it was was really lucky to be uh, an investment banker or a broker dealer or an intermediary mm-hmm. during that time because you know our business didn't suffer um, it, it just changed who our clientele is and and which transactions we focused on and which investors were interested in which transactions mm-hmm. but in terms of volume and revenue and profitability uh, it didn't impact us and I'll tell you one other thing mm-hmm. And that was super lucky for us. And then I want to tell you something funny now that you mentioned uh, COVID. If I forget, just remind me about Zoom. Yeah. Sure, I'll remind you for sure. Okay. So um, we, from the very, very first day, wanted to be a paperless office. Mm-hmm. And this was really, uh, I wouldn't say it was groundbreaking or unique, but it was certainly unusual. Um, We wanted everything to be in the cloud. We didn't want to have any papers on anyone's desks. And we are, were and are kind of crazed about organization so that everything is done the same way, every transaction, we have the same set of files we have the same VDR, you know, virtual mm. data room, same processes. And as a result of that, um, when COVID hit and everyone had to go on lockdown, didn't impact us one bit. 
because we were built for that moment. We didn't know it. We certainly didn't anticipate it, but we had people all over the world using all of our technology and systems. Um, so the fact that we weren't in our office, we still have our office in Manhattan, but no one's there. The fact that we weren't together in the office didn't hold us back whatsoever. None. And did you guys end up going back? Because I, I no. know a lot of, so you guys are not in office at all. Zero. Wow. I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but right now um, we're enjoying not commuting and everyone seems to be very happy and productive. But the, so, the office is still open, like for people to come in. It is open, but no one's going in. <laughs> no, I've heard that so many people have mentioned that. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hot take, I guess. Uh, um, some companies, you know, they're, they're kind of going into that work from home, but other companies having, having a hard time going into the work from home. Um, I think I, one of my speakers was mentioning that um, their, their productivity just dropped significantly because there was no like control. People weren't, but that could have been maybe they're not incentivized. Also, they don't have your system that you did during COVID where everything's laid out very simply. So maybe that's, that's the problem. That's, we just need to learn from you how to, do, uh, how to be productive. <laughs> well, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, presume that, but I would say that I believe that a company that can't function efficiently um, remotely is probably not a well-run company. That might be a controversial viewpoint, but that's my personal view. So good. It's a cool take. I mean, that's uh, especially in nowadays, people are kind of like on that stage where they're debating, especially here in Canada. Um, I'm, I'm from Toronto um, and Toronto is like, you know, on the later side in terms of COVID restrictions. I think we just opened up uh, restrictions on transit um, and people are just on that, like, you know, that they had, they're just getting that email where it says, are you coming into the office? Yes or no. We're just getting that now. So I think we're, got, we're a little bit behind you. But right now it's like everyone's at that like at that crosswalk. It's like either work from home forever or not. So right now it's kind of interesting here in Canada where where everyone's going as well. So it's cool to hear your your uh, perspective. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Funny story about Zoom and castle placement and human behavior and technology. Yeah. About seven or eight years ago. So, so we have this app called CPGO and CPGO is uh, an app where companies that are seeking to raise capital and investors who are looking to raise capital can go and interact with one, each, one another and find each other and, and, and get transactions done. And it does about a hundred other things uh, for our deals to make the whole process just faster and more efficient and, and, and better. So anyway, about eight years ago, we spent a lot of time and money building in a feature into CPGO so that an investor or a client could click on a little video icon and they can have a video call with each other. Mm -hmm. And we were so excited. We thought it was the coolest thing in the world. You go on our app, you click on an icon and you're having a video call with someone. And again, this was like 2014. Mm -hmm. Nobody used it. Nobody. Wow. I don't mean 
five percent. I like mean, nobody, nobody, nobody thought it was a good idea okay. to 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 talk to someone and video. Now, um, FaceTime was already a thing, so in in the personal life, people were video chatting all the time, but in business, for some reason, and I couldn't explain it then and I can't explain it now, uh, people were extremely reluctant to have a camera on their face when they're in a business meeting remotely. So it was just a, a total fail for us. And then COVID hit and all of a sudden, zoom, 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 zoom. Everybody zoom, zoom. Is, is loving, well, I wouldn't say everyone loves, but everyone is certainly doing video conference. Mm -hmm. Just a very interesting uh, commentary about business because you can have a great idea and that was a great idea. I don't care what anyone says. In, 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 in 2014, it was a great idea to have video conferencing embedded into our app to make yeah. it more human, more efficient and effective for, for people to communicate with each other. That was a great yeah. idea. But you don't make a decision. You don't get to decide what is a great idea. The market decides Decide. what is a great idea. And the market at that point decided that that was a terrible idea. It's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. so, so timing is also really important, right? You could have a great idea, but the world may not be ready for ready it. Ready for it, yeah. There's a it's like, it's like there, you have to be in the right time at the right place. Like people always say that, especially in business. I think, I think I agree with you. It's like people are not, I think um, it's the same thing as uh, someone was mentioning. Uh, someone mentioned, I remember I was watching this YouTube video um, and people were mentioning that at the time when the internet was, in, or like the internet got big, like the world wasn't really ready for it. And then when um, Google like started and like they started pushing into their like browsers and everything, that was like the right time. But it's the idea and like the whole structure of the internet actually started way way back just people kind of rejected they're like who's gonna do this who's gonna search like google maps or like whatever like no one's gonna look at that uh, but now it's so big it's like i can't even imagine a world without it but I've, before I have two, people weren't ready i have two quick stories for you yeah go ahead on, on that exact note in i believe it was 1991 my wife and i lived in manhattan mm-hmm we had no, no children and we went out um, with another couple for dinner. But before dinner, they invited us to their apartment and we went at, hung out at their apartment before we went to dinner. And I had never met them before. My wife was friends with the woman. I didn't know the, the man at all. So he says, hey, I wanna show you something. And he walks me over to his desk in his little apartment and he starts showing me stuff on his computer. You could do this, you could do that, you could do the other thing. Great. We go to dinner, nice time, walking home. I say to my wife, that guy is the biggest geek I've ever met in my entire life. I didn't understand a word he was saying and he was so excited about this thing and you just wouldn't believe what a geek he is. Well, what he was showing me was the internet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow it really came for a full circle <laughs> i had i had no idea what he was talking about and uh had no interest in it whatsoever it's not like i had 
he, he demonstrated to me and I had my aha moment. Oh, the next 30 years are going to be dominated by this technology. Yeah. This is the most amazing thing. I got to get involved tomorrow. No, I just completely missed it. And the second thing I would mention in a similar vein that in 1997 or 1998, I was at Credit Suisse First Boston and everyone was talking about this thing, email. Mm -hmm. Email, email, email. And I was super busy. I was doing my deals. It was the you know, heyday of finance. It was a great time on Wall Street. And I had no time for these people talking about emails, whatever they were talking about, no interest. And then one day, um, someone says, Rich, you, you missed the investment committee meeting. I said, no one told me about any investment committee meeting because it was a big deal. You don't miss investment committee meetings. No one told me about that. They said, yeah, they sent it around in email. I'm like, oh, email. <laughs> I gotta look into that. Oh my God. So you basically missed everything. You missed the internet, you missed email. It's true. Wow. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I, like, I, 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 like, you know, for me, as someone that grew up after that, like for me, I'm like, how could you possibly do that? But I, I can, I think I can totally understand what your mindset is. Like, you know, I feel like it's me right now with NFTs and like crypto. Like a lot of people are like, what is this? Like this guy's telling, showing me a picture of an ape. Like, why would I pay millions of dollars for this or, or Bitcoin or something like that? You know, it's like, like this guy's showing me these like little, like, you know, these graphs that are going like this, like, what does it mean? Like, I feel like I, I, I feel you right now, especially on the geek moment. I have a friend that is like obsessed with all that, like crypto stuff and the NFT. He's looking at graphs all day. He's on his phone, just checking it all day. Uh, and I'm just like, what is this guy saying? I don't get it. It's just a bunch of animals. This guy's buying like swords for his NFT. I, I don't get it. Um, but I, I think maybe in 30 years, well, I'll be on a podcast and I'll share it. <laughs> it is possible. Although to be fair, and sometimes these things actually do go away. You can, um, you know, there are new technologies and you can kind of avoid them and you can turn out to be right. Only a small percentage of technologies actually become widely adopted. Yeah. So, so you can't run after every single thing. On the other hand, you can't close your eyes and your ears totally. and, and just ignore new technologies. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that you brought up some really good points. That's actually those are great stories. Thank you for sharing, uh, Richard. I don't want to take more of your time, but I kind of just want to end off like our little a little snippet on uh, a little bit about people like me. You know, there are students uh, or people that are really interested and passionate about business. What would you say? Again, this is probably another two-hour question that I'll answer to you, but I just want like you know your your two cents on what do you think people in investment banking specifically, because you know it best, um, need to be successful? Like, is, is it, again, this, this could go in any context you want. You want it to be education, it could be education. For like, I kind of, but for me, like what's more interesting to me is I really want to know, Richard, like what's, what's the mindset I need to have to be successful or like to at least put myself in a position to be successful? Because at the end of the day, we have your option D, which is luck. Um, and luck we need, 
But at the end of the day, like I want to put myself in the best possible position to have as much luck as possible and hopefully end up uh, successful one day. So um, that's, that's one question for you. And I know, again, sorry to hit you with another two hour question, but would love your two cents. I'll, I'll be concise. Yeah. So as you were asking the question, I jotted down three things. Perfect. The first thing I would say is don't sweat your entry point. Okay. And what I mean is people uh, at your age who want to go into investment banking are obsessed about where they should start. Should they work for a big investment bank or a small investment bank? There are so many different departments. You could be in M&A, sales and trading, research, equity capital markets, debt capital markets, back office, yeah. legal, many others. Uh, I would say it doesn't matter. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I think that to be successful, you have to kind of understand all of those different components because uh, finance doesn't occur in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are different markets, there are different geographies, there's equity, debt, M&A. You have to understand all of the components, I think, to be successful. So don't sweat where you start, mm -hmm. which goes to number two, which is it's all about the learning curve you want to get up that learning curve. And more important than what firm you work for or what department you work for is the person you work for. And you don't always get to choose that, but if you do have options for, you know, when you're interviewing or even once you get the job, if you can maneuver your way in the shop to work for a certain person, you want to work for the best people. That means the most talented people, nicest, smartest, honest people who care about you and are invested in your career and will actually mentor you and help you that is a hundred times more important than the name of the firm uh, where you work or the department in which you you work mm -hmm. and then the third thing i would say is add value every single thing that you do add value mm -hmm. i don't care if they ask you to get lunch if they ask you to do research on a company, if they ask you to do a data entry, mm -hmm. add value, take the assignment and think of ways to expand on it, to deliver more than your boss asked for. Mm -hmm. he, he or she may have asked you to do some data entry, but find out the context of the assignment, what, what they're trying to accomplish and how you can make it bigger, better, and, and, and deliver, always deliver, so that when someone has an assignment, they say, I want Alex on that project because I know Alex is going to get it done. If you have that type of mentality and you're always trying to learn, I think you will be successful. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Speaker Society Podcast. As always, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Speaker Society as well as on LinkedIn, where we do bi-weekly call-outs for future episodes. Be well, stay safe, and have a nice day.